Welcome to episode 365 of the Siren Studs podcast. I'm Kurt, joined once again this week by my behelmeted co-hosts, Peter and Jake. anniversary edition of the cast. <laughs> we made it, guys. First year complete. Man, what a long road it is. <laughs> it's like fucking, uh, we could do... Years a yeah, long yeah. time when you do one show I, I every mean, week. <laughs> sometimes it, it took double recording, but you know, hey, it was worth it. Put in the hours, crunch, really crunch to get here. The grind. Some sometimes you do you do thirty one really good minutes on your podcast, and then your co-host <laughs> tells you that he didn't record. <laughs> Anytime, buddy. Some you you, you know sometimes that like wakes again. me up in the middle of the night. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like I just wake up. Oh my god, what's wrong, honey? I had a nightmare. I, th- I, I thought I, tend I forgot to, live... to press record thirty minutes in. <laughs> I tend to live a lot of the nightmares other people dream about. <laughs> what does that say about me? I don't know. But um, yeah, Jake, you weren't there last week. Um, there was I hit record. I was like I hit record, and then my usual my workflow is you throw you put it you minimize it because I don't need to look at the waveform because yeah, like it's never fucked with me before. But this week. Or last week, <laughs> Peter. It's always it's fucked with you. Many I keep times it. Before. I keep that shit up always. <laughs> I want to know if I'm like screaming too loud or. Yeah, same. I've got I've got it up. I got my my uh, DAW on this monitor. Yeah. I got my main browser stuff on this monitor, well, and I got the OBS up on <laughs> this monitor. Some of us don't have enough here. ports in the back of our PC to hold three monitors. I rate. I, I don't rate know if I'm one of those sometimes. people or not. You you definitely are not one of those people. You have three display ports and an I'm HDMI. I'm still gonna run one monitor card. through another monitor by some arcane force. I try to I try to investigate uh, like what I eat before and how loud that'll rate my farts. So I, I mark off like what to eat and what not to eat, you know, before the casts. It's just the yeah. level of professionalism that you get here at the yeah. San Sometimes I mute them, sometimes I don't. Ass. Get the get the sound, the field recording. And of course, as always, we are coming at a breaking news site. We are on location as police and news reporters start to funnel in. We were the first ones here, obviously, because I got a uh, message on my uh, my. Italian signal. It's this little boot that this it, it burns red. My little boot on my necklace burns red whenever a cardinal sin, an Italiophobic cardinal sin, has been committed. And this week we are coming at you live from uh, some New Jersey backwoods uh, where 500 pounds of cooked, maybe, pasta has been found desecrated in the woods. Uh, we are trying to apprehend the criminal so we'll be on the move throughout the podcast and we'll try to figure out who committed this heinous crime Some the kind of... worst crime of all yeah bringing me back to new I'd jersey back here. it's but like it. an old bridge hunting it's the, like <laughs> hunting the pasta poltergeist new jersey is kurt's it like it's uh the uh, what is it dairy maine i think is what it is <laughs> 
Dairy Maine. Were they? Were they all have? Is that to go your back? rapper name, Jake? No, like Dairy Maine, but I'm Dairy Maine. <laughs> Dairy is uh, no. That's actually my League of Legends name. Um, I'm I main Dairy. Is that the Milk Powers? Um, no, yeah. <laughs> Lactose and tolerant. Dairy's the fictional heat. town in Maine uh, for Stephen King's book It, and. Oh. Like everybody forgot about it whenever they moved away because of some shit that happened when they were kids. And it's like, oh my God, I got to go back home. I got, oh my God, it's back. The pasta, the noodles. The noodles are back. <laughs> the now, rift is opening between here and the pasta plane. I know for the viewers at home, whenever, <laughs> the yeah, whenever we go on one of these tangents, I know it's a 50 50 of whether we're just bullshitting. Or like this is some incredible fucking actual thing that happened, and this time it's an incredible fucking thing that actually happened. That there made was, world news. <laughs> they found 500 pounds of um, cooked, you know, seemingly cooked noodles at, next to a creek in Old Bridge, in uh, in New Jersey. Um, the forces of what they learned, the forensics <laughs> discovered <laughs> that the forces of nature um, actually cooked it themselves. Mother Nature wanted to have a little snack. She was a little peckish. So she took dry noodles that some fucker threw out and uh, she's like, I'll do it myself. It's pretty remarkable. Um, I, I think nature is uh, pretty beautiful when left to its devices, what it can accomplish and cooking 500 pounds of pasta is one of those things. <laughs> you know that you can scoop the water out of that creek and make like yeah, perfect marinara sauce with it now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what makes the pizza so good there right the the water source is uh, yeah. makes the dough just uh gives i was it gonna say if this river crunch. flowed into new york city it's like that explains it all we found the operation boys yeah that's uh, they, they say that's why new york bagels and new york yeah. pizza are just it's the water better. the water they're boiled with and, and cooked with right out of the hudson it's yeah. delicious mm, that delicious hudson water well, hey, we got the Hudson up here. <laughs> Maybe I need quite to dump say. pasta in the Hudson. That'll do it. We're, I'm in Little Italy right now. <laughs> also, I think New York City sources its water right. from the Catskills. Yeah, the Catskills. Nobody would ever assume. <laughs> I'd like to think that there's some uppity like L.A. pizza place or bagel shop that prides itself on being New York City style. And uh, imports its water from the Catskills. Because uh, I, I learned about a new thing the other day. Um, I mean, we all know about shaping ice and whatnot um, mm -hmm. for, for cocktails. There's a, a press that just came out that's $1,500 that will uh, shape your cube of ice into a perfect sphere. Um, okay, fine. Uh, uh, what? That's not the thing that baffled me. The thing that baffled me... Why not just use the, the thing that baffled me was the where they got the cubes, <laughs> and they said, yeah. "Well, you can sign up for our subscription service, and we'll ship you cubes of ice for this purpose. <laughs> and if oh, you're having good. a party, you can request ahead of time to get more." I'm glad we've gone back to the '40s, where the Ice Man comes around with his sheets <laughs> packed in fucking sawdust. <laughs> it probably is. Are you guys, dude? I gotta just start doing a fucking milk subscription and just come around and deliver people milk every morning or every week or whatever. <laughs> fucking, we're we're basically back. 
Time is a flat circle. Like for real. Um, I I don't know where you're getting fifteen hundred dollars from, Jake. That's kind of that's that's kind of crazy because I know they make like I've seen these ice presses where it's like two pillars. It's a, basically an aluminum mold with a couple of um contr- like direction rods, right? And if yeah. you have the the sphere machined on it, and it's just a heat sink, right? So it pulls the heat or you know it warms up the um ice as it. Uh, presses down, just uses the weight of the press to shape it into the circle. Um, those are usually like two hundred dollars, maybe three hundred, because it's just machined aluminum. This wasn't this wasn't just machined aluminum. And also, you know, Sorry. again, not to be that guy, but you can just use a spherical mold for your ice <laughs> in the first place. Also true. Or and D20. Save here, right, a couple so here, here steps. it is. It's, um, <laughs> luxury one that promises to make perfectly clear spheres uh i don't know why they got to be clear but i mean how are you going to remove an inclusion from the ice well that's why i think that's why i wonder if where their subscription service comes from where they only promise it if you get it through their subscription of cubed ice Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. they, they bring they, you perfectly pure they probably boil it first crystals of ice because i think that's what it's got to be it's got to be like boiled water that doesn't that doesn't do it. You got a directional freeze and then um, nice. cut off the the uh, sprue, yeah. I guess, as it were. Um, which you can do again if you watch any YouTube tutorial. If you put a cooler with the top open in your freezer um, and then take it out before it's frozen all the way, you can get as much clear ice as you want. Takes like three hours. Don't and tell then you these can people have, that. You can have pounds and pounds of crystal clear ice and pay <laughs> no money for it other than your water bill and the electricity to run your freezer this is oh, life is, hacks is this oh us. is this pre-sale um so this is like this is like the fucking juicero yeah so i i saw this on a tiktok <laughs> that was at like some sort of trade show um yeah it was very interesting but they were they're advertising as a fifteen hundred dollar ice press and it's it's got uh oh it's got cords attached to it and shit it looks more complicated than just a machine (laughs) aluminum i don't know why you got to do this but i think it uses heat as well oh like so it has a heating coil in it because i believe it took 60 seconds and i think the other ones usually take a little bit longer I'm looking at this thing. This thing is fucking goofy. It is goofy. It's for sure. It's just fucking. Yeah. Here's just to make some an gifts ice in this article they have about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we while we watch the markets, we'll also watch the trays in which you can put ice cubes. Um, the uh, in our segment tray watch. Sorry. And much like an ice yes. cube after you've shaped it, um, you've lost a lot of the volume. And so we've also lost a lot of the trailers this week. <laughs> there's there's like two, three. Yeah. I have two, but I there's one I for like love again. But I don't give a shit about that. So we'll just um so we'll just hit these two. We'll do it easy, easy style. Um, because last again, fucking, it. you can't space these out, Hollywood. You have to pack them all in one week and then give us <laughs> famine the next. What are we doing? 
Well, it's going to be, it might be famine for a while because, uh, oh, that's writers true. Are on strike. Uh, shout out to the writer's strike. Yeah. We can, we can get, we can get into that if you want. Um, As, there's a lot of interesting stuff coming out of that. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's kind of like, I don't, I don't think either side's in the wrong mm-hmm. for the positions that they've taken. Yeah. Cause, um, it's just, the marketplace changed very quickly and people really didn't know how it's going to work. Like I, I I've been saying on the show for years, um, when we talk about like how streaming works out for monies for studios and whatnot, I'm like, I'm not sure how, you know, the value of these are indicated to the streamers. And it turns out executives didn't either. (laughs) And so they spent a lot of money and now they don't have that much money to spend and they have to cut back. So they're being more selective about projects and uh, trying to kind of cheaply hire writers. Yeah, to you're telling me that an executive didn't consider um, the long-term financial implications of a decision they made. Well, and that's, and that's the problem that's is that I think a lot of the decisions um, that are happening with like streaming platforms um, are all quarter by quarter and not long-term uh, profit driven. Which I mean, it's okay to be profit driven, I guess, but you got to make sure it, you know, stays long term and not just, oh, we got to get these quarter numbers up because if we don't, our stock price is going to drop and shareholders are going to be pissed. Um, I, I think the real like, if you, if you look at just like the plain numbers, you're like, oh, what are they cafawing about? Because uh, the average salary is like ninety one to one hundred and one thousand dollars, but they also mainly live in L.A. or at least some of them. A good amount of them live in yeah, LA. It's not a lot. Uh, definitely something you could do Out remote. There. But um, the writers, I think, also have an obligation to be on set a lot of the times as well for um, mm-hmm. a variety of things, which also is hampering. Um... Well, see, that was one of the things that was a complaint of certain members of the guild is that the opportunity for the writers to be on the set, which is you know one of the ways they kind of like track up in their career to being showrunners was not being presented to Mm -hmm. them because of the costs associated with because they're there from what i heard was there there was a couple things that they can do on set um in terms of like rewrites um like oh yeah they do rewrites and stuff it's it's a yeah very tonal meetings and stuff like that that's and and speaking of rewrites um that's got what a lot of people worried about the next season of house of the dragon house of the dragon (laughs) because uh it's all written Um, but they said they're going to continue moving forward with filming and the writers are like, well, good fucking luck with rewrites. Um, like we, we haven't done that yet. And what happens when you get halfway through or some of that, we're still on strike because the last one in 2007 happened for a hundred days. Yeah. There was some, there was some timeline changing pivotal moments in there. I think one of it's, uh, some threads talking about like one of like hank in breaking bad was supposed to die in like the second season wow but yeah well he's supposed to die the and then the first season but they the two fell into the writer's strike i think uh fell into the writing of strike so they they had to push off the resolution that storyline and something with the Mm -hmm. office too i know there was there and it indirectly led to certain uh shows either getting canceled or 
um certain talents spinning yeah. off their own shows so there's a lot of i could see this this is a uh, this is a timeline moving kind of event um yeah a lot of a lot of projects hanging in the balance here you know it would be an even more timeline moving event uh if the visual effects industry yeah. unionized that would be that'd be wild yeah but... that's i mean i mean we are we are hearing a lot about like CGI and, and animation just kind of being lackluster for and how how much they're being pushed to complete projects on time. Mm-hmm. Um, that and video game. They, yeah, they. I'm surprised they're not even as far as like the video game developers union or the video game workers union because that's like uh, they're they're trying to like develop that union right, but like VFX, I feel like I haven't I have I hear nothing about that. Do, do practical yeah. effects workers have a guild? I don't know. I mean, you. Um, I think yeah. I think stage hands oh, is, have. Do you I think it's because they yeah. they contract out to private companies the the VFX and and then those are just kind of there, there's so many so much competition between them that they don't want it that the companies don't want unions to form because of that because of the competition I'm sure or that's part of it. Well, I mean, the the company doesn't want the union to form because yeah, that, sure. That well, here's a here's an article business. from the Hollywood Reporter um, here. Um, VFX unions from March. So VFX workers union effort picks up where last reckoning left off. The name of the union is the IATSE. <laughs> oh yeah, IATSE. The I A T S E. Um, so I think I don't know what that one is. Let's see what that stands Wait, for. Wait, Yahtzee is is already a thing. Yeah. So okay. So I think that's it's going to be part of that. They're building it out. Okay. Oh yeah, it's the it's the thing with that. Yeah. So you ever when that you five, unionize, you can uh, join a lot leaf, larger five, five petal flower at the end of your movie. That's like a it's kind of a, a pentagon. That's their that's their uh, guild yeah. signet yeah. or whatever. Taps to add a, a red and a white, some shit. The key rune. The key. Yeah. It's the Yahtzee key rune. Wouldn't it be funny if the Ravnican guilds were all just fucking unions? Now that's different a profession of magic I want to play. And like, is it like stands oh, for like something as the Tractos? Gruel is just the yeah. uh, the chaotic scabs that get hired in to do the welding <laughs> jobs and fucking, you know, they're just they're replaceable, so they don't it's care. It's the about green, red, unga, unga lovers. <laughs> That's Gruel right there, baby. Azorius are the union yeah. lawyers that do the um, that, that the, 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 the bar. So, kind of speaking of video yeah. games and getting back into Treywash here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk about one of our trailers. You'll never, you'll never have to worry I'm about sure. Sarah running short. We have that power. Um, much like I know what? No, I have no segue for this Gran Turismo. Yeah, it. Uh, it's very silly. I the begin. They. I feel like at the beginning of the the trailer, it is ac- ac- exceptionally silly, and they try like. It feels like it. They're at least acknowledging that towards the second half of the trailer. They're like, because the concept is a true story where like they uh, was it Nissan or whatever. They're just like, all right, we're gonna take the top Gran Turismo yeah. video game racers 
and we're going to put them in a program to race real cars. And this is like the story of one of those guys who I guess, right. We, we talked about this and he ended up yeah, winning a couple we, of GPs or something. When, oh, he, yeah, he won some races. I don't think he won, uh, any GPs and he's still racing today, I believe. And he's like, okay, I guess. I think he's in like the third most prestigious yeah. F1 racing league, which, right is, now. which is huge. Um, yeah. So this is a, at a weird crossroads of, I guess, so I guess we saw the teaser, but this is the trailer and this kind of stands at the weird crossroads of sports biopic and video game adaptation. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it looks, I honestly, watching the whole trailer, I I think I would watch it. Um, who's the who's the coat the coach yeah, guy? I I don't think it yeah is David the, Harper's character. Uh, David Harper. Um, yeah, I think he he helps this work a lot. Yeah, because he of his just incredulity mm-hmm. at the. It's a very idea. classic kind of character. Um. Yeah. Um, I think this movie will be passable. Um, racing movies are, you know, do well in a wide span of genres. You know, Talladega Nights mm-hmm. to Ford versus Ferrari. Cars. Um, I'm sure there are yep. other examples. Um, this is Cars, so. Yeah. <laughs> the um, so the thing about this one for me, I think, is that because it's. The most pure, I think it's maybe the most pure part of the genre. Um, <laughs> no humans. Yeah. No, no, there's no humans. Kids, yeah, yeah, no I humans agree. at all. Just, just cars. Just, just cars. racing. It's only racing. Only racing. Um, um, but so because this is both a Sony movie and a Gran Turismo movie, um, I my expectations are that this will be have very strong effects and i mean they kind of show that off where they do a lot of the visualization of you know um what it's like to be in the video game or like to play it and then some of these racing scenes so that's a lot of what i'm going to expect out of this i don't expect the story to be very strong um it's that's the weakness of sony movies well see that's where i'm gonna i think disagree i think because the true story on which this is based is, you know, a, a pretty interesting and, you know, to a certain group, inspirational story. I think the story will be okay. okay. The script might okay. have certain deficiencies. Yeah, you can see that. Um, but, but I say, you know, I'll say it again, like Sony, these kind of movies are ways for Sony to flex their visual, their visual effects and their, um, their graphics essentially. Um, so I like they literally it all on PS5. They're like they they said Morbius. It's gonna morb, so we're gonna make it morb in so many colors. We're gonna we're gonna morb out on it, um, and I expect them to to make to really grand this Turismo. My favorite part is what he said. It's Grand Turismo time, and Turismo <laughs> all over those grands. So yeah, like I'm, you know, I'm there for the training montage of. Um, I mean, and again, it like it, it at least kind of acknowledges these things. Like racing is a very physical activity, um, and 
and yeah. acknowledges the absurdity like, of it's, you know he, it's he kind of calls out, like you're gonna take these kids who are just they, they can play it in a video game and you're gonna strap them into one of these fucking machines okay <laughs> these very expensive machines <laughs> this is gonna be fucking ridiculous um so yeah you know what honestly if they're they're going all for it um i could watch it i could watch it yeah uh, i think of the video games you could possibly adapt uh, a gran turismo probably works fairly well since it's just yeah racing cars so as long as that's in your movie people will be pretty happy yeah. with the video and game adaptation part of it um and taking this this story i think was was going to be a movie one way or another and since gran turismo is is central to it uh so yeah. like we'll produce it um so i i've i have moderately high expectations for this film yeah and the only thing that took me out <clears throat> when listening to it was um the, the this ain't no video game anymore. What do you know? You only play video games, nerd. Just a lot of that kind of uh, tone and rhetoric. But they're given not the wrong. ego of racers, I could see that that happening as intensely as it as yeah. it was dramatized to be. I could see them given having some beef about that shit. Yeah, they they're too. They're all very uh, they're all very petty. <laughs> I, I just hope they, they love, don't. They love their drama, those racers. Just as long as they don't, uh, like, like stay, like stick too hard to that and keep pounding that messaging and like, you know, wait, I want to see him prove himself like halfway through mm-hmm. and then, all right, enough, enough with the uh, like the video game slander. Let's. Yeah. Will they? Of... Um. So will they produce Gran Turismo the movie, the game, to go along with this? Like if they make this the the next story mode, I think oh I don't I, know maybe that I think that would be interesting. It's it's handed they're on a silver platter like that's you, you play the story of this guy in the next Gran Turismo game. That would be pretty cool. Um, what would also be pretty cool, except it's pretty hot because it's in the desert. Uh, Dune Part Two, yeah, Dune, if you will. Got- Dune two, Dune Part two. The, uh, the trailer's so big it had its own trailer. The trailer had more Zendaya that we got in the first one. Yeah, even though she in. was like slated as a main actor, main character, um, and they're not wrong, just uh, not for that movie. <laughs> so from this trailer, it seems like she's going to be spending most of the movie staring off into the distance at at um, Timothy Chalamet. Kind of like, kind of like squinting her eyes. Is that him? Yeah, they, they showed a good amount. Um, they showed a good amount in this trailer, just of different shots and how people look who we didn't see in the first one. Um, you know, and, and remember where we left off, where House Atreides um, kind of got set up to take over Arrakis, and that setup paid off with um, House Harkonnen um, mm. coming. This elite force of Norwegian crazy people, the um, boys, and just just tearing shit up, and then uh, the, the the survivors kind of fled to the desert, um, where the uh, what's the what the they met, they met up with Fremen. the Fremen. 
Yeah, the Fremen. And then they walked out of the movie. Yeah, and they all walked out of the movie, and it, now we see that like uh, Lady Jennifer's um, set up with like to be like um, uh, the high high priestess of the Ben and Gesserit. Um, she's got tattoos on her face now, um, mm-hmm. and they, they kind of post up the infamous scene of him riding the worm, which is cool. Yep, very they, very uh, cool effects. That's their big their big uh, thing in the trailer. Their big uh, selling point there. But we get to see, get to see the black and white world on uh, Guinea Prime. That's fun. I mean, it's gonna be good. Like, I'm, I. This is the kind of movie where, if you just do the same shit, just just keep it. Do what you did with Dune One. Keep on it. Um, it's not the. It's not kind of. It's not its own thing, right? It's not gonna be a sequel in the way that other things are sequels. This is just the part two. Um, so when it comes out. Like after it's out and it does its theatrical run, I don't know anyone who wouldn't like just watch this at home back to back. You know, this is gonna this is just gonna be a five hour movie after this part finishes running in theaters. Which you know it it probably should have been in the first place, but um, I would love it. That eighties movie was was a lot to take in. Very uh, packed. In the in the hour and a half, two hours that it was that it was. What? All right, that's probably yeah. gonna look pretty weird to everyone there, but we had a little bit of a technical hiccup. If I I hope Kurt put a um put the Dune lady yelling right there, um, but but yeah, like a double feature. Uh, I want to do a double feature in IMAX. I would pay for I would pay double tickets for a double feature because I missed it in IMAX the first time. Um, and everyone was saying, Jake, you were saying, and everyone else who I saw it were saying it was like an experience in IMAX. Yeah, I mean, the only the only downside I think was um, uh, it was loud. It was a little bit too loud. I think um, I, I don't know if that's me getting old or or what, but I thought I prepared my ears early enough in high school by just blasting Disturbed in my headphones and in my earbuds. <laughs> And uh, New metal taking them out and hearing that ringing noise, but I guess not. Mom, because yeah, I didn't have enough tinnitus to see IMAX. <laughs> uh, it's just loud, but uh, a very good experience, I think. Like, I if I would love a theater to do like do part one and do then you do an intermission and you come back into the theater for part two. That would yeah. be pretty sexy. That'd be dope. And like you wouldn't even have to worry because like we see re-releases now in theaters a lot. Like a lot of theaters do re-releases of old movies, of of new movies. Um, you know, whenever Avatar needs to make, if they need to round up their budget to the nearest ten million, they'll put it out for another week around a holiday. Um, so I see no reason why Warner's couldn't just like say, "Yeah, no, Dune's coming back," so that you're you're all ready to watch the second one. Yeah, um, especially with them being kind of hard up for money right now. I could definitely see them putting the first Dune back out into theaters. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense since the first Dune came out during the peak of the pandemic. And not a lot of people could go out to see it in theaters. Yeah, and they're not going to be offering this concurrently on streaming, I don't think. No, it's it's not day and date with uh that was only for that year of 2021 yeah. or whatever 
which oh. I miss it. I miss it a little bit. Can't say that I don't miss it. But, but alas. But yeah. Um I mean, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be doom. I as long as we get some we're gonna get some big old action scenes. I mean, the the iconic like battles in the desert, the, the which they flash forwarded to. Um in the in the, his visions, where oh, they're all yeah. wearing Power Rangers outfits, <laughs> fighting with little knives. Yeah, it'll be it'll be cool to see um, the Muad'Dib come into his own, kind of uh, be a badass a little bit more than than he was in, in this. Because we only saw like one fight sequence with um, Paul Atreides, where mm. it was like, oh damn, he's actually but like kind of skilled. It was an important <laughs> oh, shit, one. This boy got hands. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, he 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 had training with with Duncan. Sure, sure. Uh, they they showed that and implied through dialogue that this was a regular occurrence. So, mm-hmm. you saw how skilled Duncan was. You would imagine by proxy that Paul would also be. Did I did I I saw Dave Batista's character in here? So we're gonna get more of him. Thankfully, you know I... did I see Jason Moe as well? Are we going back to like well we doing flashbacks so... with Duncan Idaho? Because isn't he the... dead? Spoilers, spoilers in the um, in the long term story. Uh, I do know this that Duncan Idaho comes back. He died, but he comes back. I think, and or uh, in some form, I think okay. he's like cloned. Because oh. like in the later books, this is I guess this is spoilers. I don't know. I could be incomplete. But what I heard is like um, when Paul ascends to like um, God Emperor. <laughs> And he gets really fucked up on the spice and gets superpowers. He just starts cloning Duncan forever. So whenever Duncan Idaho dies, they just make a new one. Pretty dope. Yeah. Uh, It's pretty crazy. Um, But you know who else I saw on the cast list for this? Christopher Walken. Oh, really? Christopher Walken's going to be in this. I really hope he's Emperor Padisha. Is he the worm? Oh. I'm the emperor of the known universe. <laughs> That's pretty dope, though. Mu Adib. Oh. <laughs> Which, like, wait, oh, fuck me. Like, why? Because he was he was in the music video for fucking... Um, you got uh, it. What? Yeah. Uh, Do you need it? I believe in you, Peter, but I'm here if you need it. Oh, oh, okay. You wanted me to do um, weapon of choice, yeah. Which was which they quote Dune in that, and he floats around the room like Baron Harkonnen <laughs> in the Dune movie. So I don't know if Christopher Walken's a fan of Dune, or if he's just like he's his fate has been intertwined with Dune. <laughs> but he's he's gonna be in it. I, Let me I see could... if I can find which character he's uh playing. I could see him being a a Dune. Reader, reader of books, reader of fine walking dune too. Oh, oh, he is, he is gonna be the emperor. <laughs> yes, bro, that's so good. Beautiful. Ever since, ever since his role in Balls of Fury <laughs> as, the, as the big bad guy in that game, in that movie, I was like, this man is destined to for, for royalty. <laughs> oh, I am so happy that this man will play the fucking Emperor Panisha. 
That's what they used uh, for Christopher Walken's audition tape was just that scene in uh, Balls of Fury. <laughs> bing pong, or as they call it in China, bing pong. It's classic. Yeah, that's how I describe that movie. <laughs> it's a timeless classic. It's that was going to a... be on Turner Classic Movies. <laughs> you, you can bet your... It was a big part. It was part of my adolescence. Yeah, Rolling Stones article here. Christopher Walken cast in Dune Part 2, just as Fat Boy Slim prophesized. <laughs> you know, I think I think uh, the real question we have to ask here is Danny Villanueva, <laughs> a, a Fat Boy Slim fan. That's They could very well be. If you walk without rhythm, then it won't attract the worm <laughs> you walk without rhythm you'll never learn it's a good fucking song baby um it's all right let's follow yeah, that so up now i'm gonna go back and watch that <laughs> i'm gonna watch that music video there's the this. music video's got like a nice 4k glow up um it looks impossibly good for the year in which it was shot um Right, well, let's move now to the follow-up, um, where we'll take a look at box office winners and losers for the week of April, a weekend, pardon, of April 28th through the 30th of 2023, for the fourth consecutive week in first the Super Mario Brothers movie bring in another. I don't think it has legs, guys. Forty point <laughs> eight million dollars, uh, becoming the first movie of twenty twenty three to gross over a billion dollars. Um, still in forty two hundred theaters. One point oh four four billion dollars. Yeah, my not million dollars. <laughs> Uh, I don't care. I I want it to just keep going, just so I can keep making these jokes. <laughs> no, it's been great fodder. Gives me a smile every time I see it. It did a lot better than I predicted it to do. Um, I thought right. it would. I thought it would cap out around eight hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah, um, even I feel like even the optimistic estimates, it's like overshadowed. So I, I can't say that I'm like not surprised either. Um still it's gonna go down one. Okay, Jake was just very still. Failures. <laughs> I I guess it's it's weird that this movie the only the only thing that's weird about this movie doing so well is that like it it's not a very good movie and for like just a simple kids movie to do so well. I guess a part of it is just like how much curiosity is garnered from so many different adults that go and see like, oh yeah, I mean, it was cool to see it in the big screen, but like, you know, one and done. I honestly think that like, I mean, for us, for us as adults, it's, you know, it's very simple and there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of things that don't make it a good movie for us, but like for a kid, like the way it's paced and the way it's shot, like I feel like Illumination has that like, that those techniques unlock. That is because whenever I hear people game. talking about this movie, they're like, "Yeah, no, my kid wants to go back and see it like five times." So, 
I wonder if Illumination knows something that we don't about an addictive way to animate a movie and to pace a movie. Well, I mean, specifically for kids to be like, oh yeah, we can we can do this. I don't in think order it's some some arcane secret. I think it's just having the having like this is going to be really weird to say, but having the courage to appeal to the lower the lowest common denominator. <laughs> I don't know, man. And really just gunning for making a you know the McDonald's of film. <laughs> Illumination sounds way too close to Illuminati and. <laughs> You know, the minions have one eye, just like the pyramid. Yeah. How many goats were sacrificed to make these movies and to make, to put, to put the arcane essence into uh, this illumination picture so that our kids would be addicted about three city. You know, everybody's so concerned about grooming, but we're just grooming our kids to watch illumination pictures and take in and absorb their their uh you know everyone's concerned about grooming but realistically you should have your dog groomed at least once a year unless you got a tibetan (laughs) mastiff then it's like a little bit more but i said at least certain dogs require professional grooming yeah especially if they're a show dog yeah gotta cut around that dick hair very carefully the spout okay. hair. <laughs> they all have That's hair the Mario out. movie. That is the Mario movie. It's the spout hair of movies. Uh, in number two, Evil Dead Rise. Rise not rising. Saying exactly where it is. <laughs> at number two. For two weeks. Um, it's all twos. Two, two, two. With uh, current uh, worldwide uh, gross of 92 million. It made... 12 million this week um a little down by half from last week but in a couple more theaters so kind of hitting the hitting the middle of its stride here yeah which i'm I, sure it'll float around for for quite a while i'm not sure what actually I'll, until I'll, guardians I'll, of the galaxy 3 pops into theaters and knocks it out well uh, yes well no when this show airs it'll it'll be out already um let's take it's uh well the first evil dead had a budget of 17 million dollars um the estimated budget for evil dead rise is between 15 and 19 million dollars so already extremely profitable (laughs) (laughs) warner brothers doing doing well for itself there um opening in third this week we have are you there god it's me margaret the classic Judy Bloom book about little girls. $6.7 million opening uh, weekend there for 3,300 theaters. Solid. Gate making another moderately moderately successful hits. Uh, $9 million dollars so butter. It is not releasing internationally, or at least hasn't as of yet. Uh, the fortieth fortieth anniversary re-release of Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi managed to open in fourth on this very slow week for the box office. Um, in four hundred theaters, yeah, which those theaters must have been fucking packed, crushed per theater average, like beat out. It's the highest per theater average, um, 
in out there this week. So um, I don't know what what happened. I don't know if some of the some of those might have been like Star Wars celebrations where people were paying like three hundred dollars a ticket. Huh. Possibly. Um, I saw it was showing in my um, when I went back up to Buffalo. I saw it was showing in Regal. It was showing at our Regal as well. Yeah. Um, I just didn't go because I'm not I, sure what version was going to be shown, and true, true. I don't like every I version mean, of that movie. We, I think we all know what version is is going to be shown. It's it's going to be definitely that that you know remastered digital BS that. George Lucas used to get back at his bitch ex-wife. The question is, is the if if Disney remastered it today with their current VFX squad, would it look any better than the the mid 2000s remasters? It's a good point. That's a good point. Probably not. Um that fucking <laughs> the music number in Java's Palace is just so gratuitous. <laughs> Perfect. It's perfect, perfect. And it's perfect. so it's so crazy to watch the original version of the movie where it's just one guy playing the piano <laughs> in the corner because it's, it's like a fucking crack den. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Boy. John Wick Chapter Four moves down a spot to fifth, four point eight million dollars. Uh, in its sixth week, bringing its total gross worldwide to $403 million. So another successful uh, movie there for Mr. Wick. Uh, Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, now available for purchase on digital. Poor <laughs> um, has... wizards or not. <laughs> well, support wizards will send their fucking goon squad after you. Yeah, if you don't go see this, the Pinkertons are going to show up at your house and force feed you this movie. Make a fucking Jake. What kind of what kind of check would you have to make to keep the Pinkertons from fucking finding your uh, your secret uh, cards? Um, like a bluff, like a bluffing charisma would, check would, or something. You would pull a deception check, um, and I don't know what you would do. I mean, they would have to roll a high enough. Uh, uh, perception check in order to stealth to, to find mm-hmm. it if you hide it um so yeah you'd have to make a deception check to say no i don't know what you're talking about no i have no idea oh no and obviously despite <laughs> having a youtube channel our uh, our character in that encounter did not have the charisma to... no no he did not but he managed to get two pack openings out which for this set was enough. Was everything. Yeah. <laughs> Two box openings, sorry. Uh, was enough. Uh, he didn't need the 20 other boxes that I believe he had. Uh, However, there are there are 50 cards, but there are like seven versions of each card. Yeah, yeah. I watched uh, somebody break down how many different, like, but different showcase, treatments special treatments, foil and non-foil. Extended um, art. Extended our showcase bullshit. frame. Oh, what was that tweet from the head of Star City Games where he's like, Yeah, this 50 card set has 393 SKUs. Yeah. 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 That's... Anyone see a problem there? I don't. I don't see a problem. No, just keep just keep making little tiny draft sets, which 
Holy fuck! This is what a disaster! What a disaster! I have a problem. Lizards. I have a problem with like commander-specific cards being in this set. That's standard legal and like really serves no purpose. Man, this aftermath is going to be a flop. Yeah, I I don't know what yeah. they're doing with this. We can talk about this more. Yeah, because um, Commander Masters on. got leaked as well or revealed. Um, yeah, but Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves was a modest financial success for Paramount. Yeah. They're bringing in 195 million dollars worldwide, so it should cross over 200 million before it wraps up its theatrical run there, which um, is a 50 million dollar profit. So not huge, but this is one of the one of the things where I think they they may have been modest taking a chance with, and they might up the ante for the second one. Um, to decide to go with it, and I think the second one could do even better. So I think they get into like the third movie territory that they probably could jump the shark. But um, yeah, I feel like yeah. like when we when we review Dungeons and Dragons, I, I feel the same way I do now that um, it is a opportunity. It's a great film franchise to have because you can have the stories be discreet. It can be like the Final Fantasy of movie series where you know, there's 18 Dungeons and Dragons movies, but they're not following the all all the same linear uh, story progression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I think that would be the good way to do it. We'll see. In seventh is Air, which is held on in theaters a lot longer than I thought it would, but it's people are saying Air is really good. I, I don't yeah, see I've been, it. But... I've been meaning to, I've been meaning to go see it. I have a mean to go see it, but now I'm not sure I'm going to have the opportunity to because I got summer movie season, baby. <laughs> You're going to come awesome. hot and heavy. And then next month, I have to block out many days to uh, <laughs> to my many viewings of Across the Spider Verse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to watch the shit out of that. Um, Just. What we're not going to watch the shit out of is uh, Punian Selvan. Punian Selvan. Part two. Part two. Which opened. I don't think even, I don't even think we saw part one show up in the box office at all. If we did, it just passed me by. Um, But it is our spotlight this week. Yes, it is. uh, It was a spotlight. And as, as such, we we seek the opinions of of professional reviewers first, uh, which this movie is reviewing quite well. It's got an eighty eight point three uh, ten on IMDb, eighty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, a uh, three point six out of five on Letterboxd, whatever that is. Um, but you know, that's not important what these people think. What, what the only people who matter in this world are the real reviewers who exhibit their pure real reviewer traits on a weekly basis or daily basis even minute by minute real reviews pour in from real reviewers on IMDb <laughs> and uh, we feel we here at Sound Studs don't feel that these people get the the recognition they deserve for their their heroic contribution to our society but we try to spotlight them where we can, such as uh, Lax Lax Masunli, Max Masunli, 
uh, dash seven two five one three. Uh, he had this to say about uh, Panini and Selvin Part Two. Ten out of ten, a classic, not to be missed. Now pay close attention to the way that this is punctuated. Really liked the way, comma, the titular character is not a superhuman, but a brave, comma, noble warrior king who is often saved by his trustworthy comrades and admirers, comma, from the jaws of death, exclamation mark. Yes. Triumph. It's high time, comma, men are shown as they are gullible, comma, sensitive, comma, emotional, and prone to illness, comma, death or injury. Period. You know that classic male stereotype doesn't get sick. <laughs> Never dies. Never gets hurt. <laughs> the classic... The, oh, I'm sorry. The characters played by Jaman Ravi and Vikram are conveyed through realistic and believable situations and scenes. That made no fucking sense. <laughs> Aish Waraya had... The best. I I apologize for butchering all these names. I swear to God, I'm trying my best. It's our. I mean, that's. I think. Well, that's just a standing like disclaimer. Yeah. Is that we don't speak a fraction of the language. We, we, will, we, we will butcher we any. Try our best. <laughs> like we we really tried. We had no idea how to pronounce a professor of ours last name. Yeah. Indian. Uh. Anyway, Ashiwaria had the best screen space and she did complete justice to her roles, period. Her majestic personality and acting calibre It's supposed to be caliber, but they misspelled it. Well, that's how that's how you spell caliber in that context. Is it? Yeah. Maybe it's, it's like the, the English spelling. Doing it. Yeah, maybe it's the English spelling, maybe. Uh, shown brighter than the diamonds she wore while assaying the character... <laughs> Of Nandini. <laughs> ah, the great Nandini. The great Nandini. Trisha Cake walked through the movie with a beautifully written character, comma, Kuda, Kudavi, Kudavai, comma, a princess who was keen to safeguard her family and kingdom from the evil designs of their enemies. <laughs> the, the three siblings, played by Vikram, Trisha, and Jamin Ravi, share an awesome screen presence when they appear together in an important scene. Karithi, Ashwaya, like, like Shimi, and all have given their best to their roles, and HV come out with the flying colors. <laughs> Zero out of one found that helpful. Gee, I wonder why. Was so it, easy was to it, follow. Was it perhaps the difficulty in parsing the run-on sentences? <laughs> What you got for us, Jake? All right. We got one out of ten. What a load of tripe. Uh, I can't do any accent because I want to get these names right. Uh, from Kaya Nat- Natarajan. Um, my review for the first movie was titled, Pyrrhus Will Be Upset. This should have been titled, Pyrrhus Will Die. Oh, okay. <laughs> What? Wait, what? Most, ima- most restrained by, uh, indie yes. film review. <laughs> I have an immense respect for Mr. Manaratanam as a filmmaker. Technically, I do not have any qualms. The cinematography, the costumes, the art design, etc. are fabulous. 
The actors excel in their craft and deliver what is required of them. But I seriously wonder how many among these actors have actually read the book and, and thought, what is happening here? Just, just ask some questions. What's going on? <laughs> what, what's happening here? So what's, the if you, oh, so what's all this then? <laughs> if you haven't read the book, and wouldn't, you wouldn't mind it. Unfortunately, I have. And this book deserves better. The movie and the first should probably not have been named after the book by Mr. Kalki Krishnamurthy. Uh, seven out of 14. Found that helpful. And again, uh, we're not in any way trying to be disrespectful. We're <laughs> sincerely doing our to best quote, to pronounce these names. We all live on this earth. You know, I'm going to quote Andrew Cuomo here. Like, I, I am black. <laughs> I am Today, gay. I, I am, am disabled. <laughs> um, and coming together in the middle, like uh, Rajat Savant here with his four out of ten, uh, no momentum, dry and lazy. Don't don't watch in theater, and certainly certainly not with 4DX. I would never watch with 4DX anyway. That's the one with the shaky seats and like the little foot ticklers and the bubbles and shit. <laughs> Um, screenplay worst no momentum there is no emotional connection from one scene to another anything is happening without any context the only screenplay that is understandable is with Nandini and Aditya and they have very little screen time story well I, I don't know the original story but this one is not satisfactory <laughs> acting Vikram was good but not much screen time None of the characters are explored to their full potential. All of them have the same note from start to finish. Music, I don't remember any songs in the movie. Direction, Mani Ratnam is out of touch with the craft. Boom, hey, that's well found that helpful. Boom, boom, boom. Just right on it. Okay, <clears throat> well, fuck all that noise. Go pin off Mick. <laughs> Go pin off Mick says this about Pony and Selvan part two. 10 out of 10. Better than PS1? Worth watching the movie. Warning spoilers. I watched both PS1 and PS2. Before watching PS2, I saw reviews saying it is slower than PS1, so it didn't have much expectations. But guess what happened? So much more tech dev time into it. (laughs) Processing speed. Guess what happened? It is really, really better than PS1 and story is well narrated. Huge drawbacks of PS1 is many people didn't understand the story and its character. But PS2 is easily understandable by everyone who didn't read the novel. Vikram and Ashiwara Rai acts as the two as as a two pillars in this movie. Specifically, their love scenes before Vikram getting killed is mind blowing. Oh, so he's very horny. I see. Vikram acting in his more screen presence is the huge plus for this movie. Kathari did his role well as usual. Ravi performance is good, even though less screen time. Trisha can be seen in two or three scenes. This is expecting, according to novel, overall a movie worth watching and surely a better sequel. Zero one found that helpful. 
One out of ten. Leftover trash from PS1. <laughs> Saru 2020 says this is nothing but a leftover from PS1. Literally just leftover trash. It reminds me of Vishwarupam 2. The film is so flat and dry, it makes my mama cry and doesn't engage or attract didn't say that part. And engage or attract Aww. you in, in a way at all. It is just a gimmick by the makers to make money out of it. <gasps> He's cracking really? the code, guys. Send the Pinkertons after him. The smartest IMDb user review. Um, A.R. Rahman uh, seems to have gotten bored and missed giving even a good song or even a good BGM score. There's just no work at all done by him or this, uh, this film, which is really disappointing. Half the visuals shown in this part were already conveyed in some uh, in some form from the first part itself, and there are just two, just a handful of scenes that could easily be fitted into the first part itself. And this part could have been very easily avoided, but the filmmakers are so filthiest, <laughs> are so filthiest people that they've seen Bahabu Bahabu <laughs> What? You got it there, Bahu Bali model having worked with two parts. They wanted to deliberately make it into two parts and earn money out of it. There's literally nothing in this film except for a few scenes. And if you're really a fan of the PS book, then I'd suggest you avoid watching it since it It'll only blur your imagination of a story. Monty Rottenham should easily, uh, should really consider retiring for now for the sake of sanity. 16 out of 31 found that helpful. Bahubali. Bahubali. Yeah, I think that's like another, that's a movie that I've seen like pop up here. I think it was like it was, a comedy, I think. It was the two A's that threw me off. Bahubali. Bahubali. Um, finally here. Again, O'Connell all Mummy. meant with the most respect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the um, Four out of ten review. Now, I picked this one out because it's a pretty normal review, but there's one line at the end, which I think is a is a really excellent point. Like, I'm actually, I'm actually going to put some respect on this reviewer here. Put some respect on the name. <laughs> um, but four out, of ten, four out of ten, end of Mani Ratnam. Uh, movie marks the end of the Mani Ratnam era. He lacks the tricks or patience required for the movie adaptation of the book. Modern cinematography is beyond Bonnie's style, but much was but was much required for the movie. Had he focused only on the romance side of the characters, we would have had less hate toward the director. <laughs> but he wanted to stuff more to make sense and tried to cut short scenes, and in the end, none made sense. Monty, please, Monty, please stick to your style. There are many efficient directors now who have learned from you. Um, P.S. Cast wouldn't have mattered if you thought the movie could have done justice to the book. Zero out of one. I, that's that's. Mm, 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 I want to give that such praise. <laughs> that line. The cast. If the adaptation is good, the cast shouldn't matter. Yeah, that's a that's a very cogent and valid point. Um, so I'm looking at you, Mario. <laughs> surprising to see it come from the most unlikely of spaces. 
there's gems of wisdom out here. Real reviewers, they they hold the secrets to the universe. They have seen they're like hares. They've seen the secrets of the universe. Um, in ninth, we have Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, which fell six spots despite opening in 20 more theaters. Precipitous uh, drop. Down 43.6%. Uh, it's made $13 million worldwide. Um, so I think it might not earn, out-earn uh, Rudiger. Uh, that would be, you know what? Well, which I don't know. That's that's kind of that would kind of hurt. It feels yeah. like choosing between your kids. But if you had to pick one to to succeed, I haven't seen the covenant yet, so I can't I can't say for sure. I need okay. to I need to see it still. I need I I, I should go to the movies today. <laughs> <laughs> go hit go hit a couple different ones. Yeah. Fuck it. I'm gonna go to the movies today. <laughs> yes. yes. Um. <laughs> If you want to watch God 3, I'll, I'll join you. Well, we'll let's let's look at showtimes and see if we we'll can think. maybe do a double feature. Um, Sisu rounds out the top 10, which is about a, a, That's the a, Nazi, a, killer. a Nazi killer Swiss man. Uh, I'm really surprised we didn't want to do Big George Foreman, the miraculous story of the once and future heavyweight champion of the world as our spotlight film. That's the name of my new indie album. I like it. Um, yeah. It's the George Foreman gun, George Foreman. Name all his kids, George Foreman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bo is Afraid is um, at 13, uh, doubling its theater total. Um, Five-minute review, Jake. Eight, yeah, five-minute review. Where where to begin? Um I really like Meat Canyon's review um, of it, which was... I think it, that says a lot. That already says a lot about it. There's, there's a lot is, in which, that sentence to unpack. Yeah. It's a, it's either a 2 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10, uh, depending on who you are and how much you want to look into it. Um, I think this movie resonates with a really specific audience. So in terms of like getting um, like the entirety of the movie to really be like wow he really liked me for real for real uh i don't think there's a lot of people who are going to be like that you know um walking phoenix makes an incredible performance as uh an agoraphobe with mommy issues uh you could have sussed out that in the trailer uh the nice part about this is that it was broken up and paced pretty well for how it, it was like a two and a half hour movie uh it was long and you're like, holy shit, when will this come to end? But like the thing that this movie and Ari Aster just in general does really well with his movies is making you feel um, kind of on pins and needles the entirety of the movie. Uh, Midsummer did that really well. And this kind of borrows from that in the sense that you kind of feel Bo's anxiety through the score and through what's happening on scene. Um, the visuals and the, the camera's perspective kind of makes you feel anxious almost the entirety of the movie with, with exception, I would say to the third act when it gets really trippy uh, and you start going through this, like uh, you start going from the perspective of his imagination. Um, We saw that in the trailer uh, where he like kind of teleports to another world. Um, And it it all makes sense. the, The one thing that the trailer did was, it was like, wow, this makes no fucking sense at all. 
it makes a lot of sense in the movie when when the context is there. So there's not a lot of like, why are they doing this for the sake of doing it? Um, okay. Uh, which is good. It's not like there's a lot of fluff that is, uh, you could say, oh, that didn't serve a purpose. Um, but there's a good amount of uh, Chekhov's guns, and um, the twist is pretty nice. I, I like the twist. I had a spoil for me ahead of time, so going into it, I, I didn't get the full reaction of probably what the audience had of of the, of the big uh, reveal at the end. But mm-hmm. it was. It was good. Uh, it was fucking weird. Like, really, really weird. I don't think there's a movie going to be like this made in a long, long time. Um, I, I I also hope there isn't, because... <laughs> I don't know. You walk out of this movie just saying, fuck. Like, that's heavy. And... Okay. That's a once in a blue moon kind of movie that you want to see. You don't want to just go see shit that makes you feel like awful all the time. So <laughs> that's uh, true. Marvel serves a purpose sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you and, need to watch a superhero make a clip. Yeah, sometimes you need to watch, you know, Ponyan Selvin part two, uh, just to have a little uplifter. But yeah. Watch the end of Manu Ratnam's career. <laughs> it's it was it was quite a movie. Um, yeah, we did. But, we spotlighted Bo was afraid last week, and uh, it sounded wild from the reviews. I mean, this isn't much of a spoiler, but like just some of the absurdity that they bring into it that's like not real is like, and they make mention of it. They show it in like one scene where like his balls are really big like really big like they're softball size balls um and <laughs> it's like they make mention to it like three times and they show it it's just like what the fuck you show it why <laughs> uh i mean the reasoning behind it is is also absurd and and, and not like true but it's uh, I'm just remembering okay. certain scenes in that movie. It's it's fuck. It's a trip, dude. It's a, it is a trip. Get really really high before you see it, or don't. I don't know. I don't know what's the right because if you get really high for three hours, but yeah, but you might die. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. This is this is not a good. Like, I have trip I have gone to the movies. Phoenix be my trip sitter. I've <laughs> gone to the movies high before, um, and. If if it's the wrong movie, you're uh, you can feel very very overwhelmed, and yeah, it's not a yeah, pleasant I experience. Al- I almost think you should be like stone cold sober, <laughs> just <laughs> just call your mom after and just apologize <laughs> or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> call your dad, say you're thankful for. Him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, thanks for being around. <laughs> thanks for being a pal. Want to thank you um, for and I think that does friend. it for the follow up, right? Yep, just just about diddly done there. Cool. <laughs> Let's go. I'm I'm excited for this next part because um our video game news segment. Video game news segment. <laughs> um because I I did like a we did like a journalism and a little continuity here yeah. following up on on some stuff that I, I even marked out what we were doing. Um, and I'm going to say preface this when I introduce what we're talking about to say no peeking. Um, 
because it's going to be it's going to be exciting. Um, the strong 2023 video game Hall of Fame finalists have been picked or the, the inductees have been picked. Um, again, the the candidates this year um, were Barbie fashion designer, Quake, Wii Sports, Age of Empires, the FIFA series, uh, Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare, Wizardry, Computer Space, Angry Birds, Last of Us, NBA 2K, and GoldenEye for the for N64. Now, I think we settled in on Quake and or Computer Space, right? I think Quake and or Wii Sports, uh, but also yep. noted that Computer Space, for historical purposes, should be inducted. Yeah. Um, so again, four, there are four inductees, one of which was the community pick. And the article I have here does not say which one was the community pick. Okay. Um, I don't know if they reveal that. Um, but here are the winners this year. Um, Barbie fashion designer, Last of Us, Wii Sports, and Computer Space. What a selection. Last... I, I I still maintain Last of Us, it's too soon. And I think that's probably the community pick, and it's probably buoyed by the fact the show came out. If if I had to if I had to make a guess, I would say that's probably how that broke. Probably. Um I'm really surprised by Barbie fashion designer, because I grew up there I have a sister. Um, but that was even so, that was never like was never around that so i don't know how much of an impact that made to people who had that game must have been pretty big um i'm very was it like the first barbie game maybe maybe i'm not sure we have to look at I, i'm sure they have a blurb about it uh on the mm -hmm. the website um i mean quake's gonna get in eventually um a little surprised yeah. it wasn't this year to be honest yeah, I would. That's. I think that's the one I voted for. I was like, "Yeah, Quake, put it in." But the, I want it to come back. I really do because I. I think it deserves even even with Doom already being in there. Quake was enough of a difference. Yeah, Quake a was a big maker. enough evolution. It really Quake, like brought multiplayer competitive shooters to a forefront. Like there was deathmatching mm -hmm. in Doom, but it was very basic and rudimentary. It was not the focus at all, like it was with Quake. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm glad computer space got in there. I think that's, it's important to the history. Yeah, um, so, I mean, IMO, it's a good selection. I think I agree that like the sports franchises were just not, not there enough to get in. Yeah. yeah it definitely know? seems like I it was not want to see those in the list. A good mix of like something historical, something inclusive, something, uh, you know, arguably revolutionary with Wii Sports and then something yeah. popular. Yeah. So a, a good spread there. Um, the the kind of companion to this is uh, Strong Museum is going to close down for a little bit to renovate. And I think, the, as I see it, the renovation is to hold to build the World Video Game Hall of Fame Oh, space. the actual Hall of Fame? That's... Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's going to be... So, I think we should maybe plan a little trip out to, to Rochester. To Rochester? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. It's uh, uh, June, June 30th. Do a do a little on-location show. Oh. You, you know what? Actually, that'd be interesting. I should... We should at some point reach out to 
uh, Strong Museum of Play and see if they'd be willing to let us do that. Be I'll be in uh, Buffalo in July. Uh, beginning in July. Convene in the old brick city. Go get go get some Jenny creams. <laughs> go to a Denny's. <laughs> oh, just like old times, baby. Just like old times. Um, so yeah, that's coming this summer. <laughs> BG Hall of Fame. That'd be cool. Yeah. What else we got? Uh, yeah, so this has uh, kind of been a big week for gaming. Um, big, big in terms of like a lot of controversial things happening, controversial, shitty things happening. I don't know. We, we, I'll start off with Redfall. Um, Redfall dropped as a $70 game. I don't remember really hearing about this. I think I maybe I, haven't, heard I don't even know what this is. Yeah. So Redfall is, it's a game that they've been advertising to me on Game Pass for a while. And I have it downloaded just to see how bad it actually is. Um, but it is from Arcane Austin, who are some of the same people who spun off the original Left 4 Dead team at Turtle Rock. Um, mm-hmm. and this was their big co-op shooter that they were going to push out there. And even from Jump Street, like the first looks at the game, people were like, this doesn't look particularly great for being a, a next gen experience. And then we get a little further on, and um, it didn't show up enough on my radar to to pick it over some other stories a couple weeks ago. But a couple weeks ago, a story was put out that it was going to run at a locked thirty seconds on thirty frames per second on Xbox. Locked thirty on PC on, on Xbox. Xbox. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, still on, then, on next gen Xbox. Then the the PC port comes out and it is just a fucking mess and this has been a really bad year for AAA releases on PC um, and that's kind of like I'm going to horn in here because that was my story it's just the terrible fucking string of PC mm-hmm. releases uh, yeah. this year so we're, I'm glad you brought this up we can kind of combo attack this story um, and just like it's not a good looking game in the best of times and for the for it to perform this poorly on you know even relatively modern hardware i haven't gotten to look at to see what my performance is on a fairly high-end machine but i've heard people with like 4080s and until uh 13th gen trying desperately to play with it to keep the frame rate consistent yeah. And just having no luck. Uh you know, also there's tons of bugs, glitches, and um issues with the game that are more common than usual. Um, I mean, bugs and and, and stuff like that, you're always gonna have. But even if you separate bugs from just like the AI performing like fucking rocks in the you game, balls. like it's it, it you know, there's stuff of like the the enemies breaking, not being able to find you. Their pathfinding is all over the place. People teleporting around and not like uh, it just it's it's game breaking. It's it's breaking the immersion. It's breaking the game. It's breaking the fluidity of it. And it's not a good like the the cutscenes are unless this was an artistic choice. Every cutscene is more of a slideshow that just pans through. <laughs> And it's all still oh. images. It's not like a cinematic that you're they watching. 
so they, it, yeah. they didn't even animate it. So then you get into the game and you're 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 walking around and you're fighting between uh vampires and humans and it's just it's it's goofy. I don't know, it's goofy. It seems very feels very bland for a seventy dollar what should be like a double A or triple A title. Um ah, it just doesn't yeah, feel good. It's, like, it's a very it's a mess, plain and simple. It's mm-hmm. it's a mess yeah. from yeah. from the jump, and um, you know it's it's not a great look for Microsoft, who's had a few uh, a string of these not so great releases recently. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. you have right on its heels Jedi Survivor coming out with um, the Denuvo crippling it with similar issues, um, day one patches to try to fix what they can, um, mm-hmm. FPS issues all across the board. You have- I've, uh, I've seen stories of streamers who just can't stream the new game that looks fun to play because of the performance issues. You know, and by, yeah. by the DRM. Yeah, and that's that's the problem. Yeah. Is that like, yeah, like the minimum DRM is that, that's required is like eight gigs of, or no, VRAM that's required is, is like eight gigs of VRAM. Um, so the worst part of that, I'm glad you brought up their, their recommended spec, um, because they, when the, it launched, EA put out a statement in in typical EA fashion, uh, not taking any responsibility for the state of the game. And they blamed people using windows 10 with new CPUs designed for like the more advanced thread scheduler windows 11 um despite the fact that if you go to the recommended specs for jedi survivor windows 10 64 bit is the recommended operating system yeah also it's um it's a bulky fucking game it's coming in at 155 gigabytes dude fucking loaded triple a game today ain't so it's something for like the download, and then you also have like this massive gig, like either I forgot what it is. It, it's there's like two sets of uh, like downloads that you have to you have to go through. Maybe it might be like the install speed, or I, I forgot what it was. But hey, hey, game developers, remember when there was a time where you could take a big fucking file and that would take up all the space in your hard drive? We put those in like a different little thing that held all of that data. And you just you com- you put it connected it with your game console and it just had to read it and run the programs on it. Um, we called them cartridges or or CDs. Um, those are cool. Those are good. I mean, you're not seriously advocating for going back to CDs, right? It's much faster I, running off a hard drive. I don't know, man. Like it, they need sure it's faster. They need they to put in effort. So- no, the the thing yeah. is they're not I think largely because they don't have time. They're not taking the time to like compress assets and yeah. like clean up code to make the game smaller. Like Redfall, which you know looks worse than Titanfall 2, uh a game that came out in 2015, is a 94 gigabyte install. <laughs> right. Just yeah, yeah, I like the optim yeah. The optimization is huge. Like, but if you're gonna rush these out, like I, I don't know. I almost feel like it's intentional to like 
here's this giant game that you can't hold any other games on your fucking computer or I or forgot console. who I forgot who it Show was. It was other shit you can only play ours. It was either a statement from EA or a statement from the Arcane, uh, the developers for Redfall. Um, one of them was offered a delay. Hey, do you want a delay to finish the project? They said no. I think it was Survivor that they said no. We're we're ready. This is something we're happy about releasing. So they like knowingly release this game and willingly release this game in an unfinished state to where it's people are buying it, wanting to return it or not being able to play it right away. I mean, I, I've, I have a friend who, who can play it. I don't know what his system specs are. He's having a good time with it on PC. I don't know what his FPS is regularly, but. I've, I, I've heard in recent days they've put out some patches that have really helped the performance. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, a lot of people who are having a real bad time with it, uh, there, there are just like straight up things that are broken. Like if you turn FSR on or off rather, it doesn't actually turn it off. It sets it to the lowest internal render resolution <laughs> and your game looks like shit. But uh, a lot of people who are struggling the most are people with slightly older hardware, um, and VRAM. All these games that have come out this year just chew through VRAM. So people who have like eight gigabyte cards that they bought last generation, like the 3070, <laughs> or the 3060 Ti, um, you know, all these cards that only had eight gigabytes of VRAM are really running up against it in things like Hogwarts Legacy and The Last of Us Part One. Um, granted, a lot of that is probably due to terrible optimization. There's no reason some of these games should be using that much memory, especially with the level of fidelity they're achieving. Yeah. As we said, just un unoptimized. And it's loaded. fucking unacceptable. Like, even if you're, you as a company don't see the value in the PC market, you're still charging the same price and releasing the same day to that set of customers. They are just as deserving as a, of a quality product. And if they're running below your minimum recommended specs, that's one thing. But if they're using what you yourself put out there as the recommended config and it still runs like ass, that's on you. And you need to fucking shape up. The, a lot of these games are running on Unreal Engine 4, which is very well understood. There are a lot of games, games that came out this year, like Hi-Fi Rush, that were also built in Unreal Engine 4 that run perfectly. Beautiful, buttery smooth. Fucking if you yeah, if you can put out a rhythm action game on this engine, which I think is the most demanding because it has to like because timing and, and speed is the most important aspect of those games. Yeah. You can't you know, have a stuttery mess in a rhythm game. It's just not gonna be a good time for the player. Exactly. So if you can make an engine perform to that level of quality, and that was a Bethesda game, right? Shockingly, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, Shockingly, yes, the best, Bethesda. most polished. Yeah, it was published, not developed by them. Uh, but shockingly, yes, the most uh, polished and uh, well-working game to come out this year so far on PC was published by Bethesda. Um, although they they quickly restored balance to the universe by putting out Redfall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so not a good look.
Definitely not. Shape up all video games. They're just fucking project managers. And and I, I I'm I'm excited to uh hopefully be bringing my hi-fi rush review to you all soon. Um okay. but they're one of the bosses in Hi-Fi Rush, the whole level is basically an allegory uh for her video game development and how like over ambitious project leads who are oh, married excellent. to their creative vision create terribly unoptimized garbage because there's no time to actually program because they want changes all the time and mm-hmm. they run out of money <laughs> and they run over budget <laughs> it's fucking that's fantastic. all right yeah show us ne- next week baby next week but this week this week we're uh, we're catching up before we hit the the summer movie slog. Um, we are doing Mandalorian season three. It's been finished for a couple weeks now. Yeah, not not too long. So we'll catch it before it gets stale. We're not too um, late to the party here. Because um, I mean, I also don't think we're missing out on a lot of discussion. No, for this season, I have that kind of inkling. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Uh, you know what this kind of feels like? And I wonder if this would be okay. If this was the last Star or Mandalorian season. It, that's why I got that feeling too. See, For some reason, some other things point me in the direction of they can, like they definitely kept it open where they can just keep churning out shit if they wanted to. Yeah, I would almost like to see what a fourth season looks like because they set that up as being, you know, the continued adventures of uh, Din and Grogu, which, I I mean, I have some thoughts on Grogu as a character and some opinions that are probably unpopular, even if they might be correct. Um, (laughs) I hate to see it, but this is what peak Yaddle looks like. And well... Well, it, you know, it it's weird. I mean, it's it something where we've been to the future of Star Wars in terms of this this the the sequels, mm-hmm. and there was no Grogu, there was no yeah. You have to reconcile. Dinjarn. So it's like, does he survive? Does he get killed? Is he just not doing anything? The same thing can be said with Ezra, like. Apparently, Ahsoka and Ezra, and I, I don't know if they're trying to rewrite the sequels, which I'm not saying yeah. that's out of the question. I mean, what necessarily well, be the worst? <laughs> I don't, well, I don't think they are because they did announce they're going to come out with another sequel series with, with Ray. Yeah. Not that's that's looking unlikely. There was a possibility that they could do some timey wimey bullshit and not have Ray. No one's ever really going. Um, but so here's what I think uh, Mandalorian season three could be a good send off for Mando and Grogu and just say, this is it for them. And we'll use them, you know, sparingly, like he came in for the last two episodes of book of Boba Fett. Um, and you could arguably say that was season three or season 2.5, where a lot of that time was spent with Grogu and Mando. Um, but mm. at the end of season three, it's like we could just keep on doing the same thing over and over again. But where's where's the end of it? 
And the thing that all season this was leading up to was more Mandalore and Mandalorian um, centric. So maybe this brings in a new option where they could make a new show, which centers around Bo-Katan and the Mandalorians and the Armorer kind of establishing a new Mandalore. Um, and and that being a problem for the First Order that's going to rise up because they're all season they've been planting seeds for the the uprising of the First Order. Mm. That's so. I I kind of like that in that if you wanted to fucking really make the First Order look, get them some actual ass heat and dry you know close up if you really wanted to tighten up that cannon. Like if they defeated the man, the the newly rising Mandalore you know, culture, the yeah. resurgent Mandalore culture, um, yeah, dude, that would that would be some actual heat. Um, I yeah, I I kind of want to. I just want to talk about the whole season because like all this, I feel like all this stuff that we're interested in, you know, thinking about are kind of put in the last two three episodes. Um, yeah, there's a couple things here and there throughout the season obviously but um i feel that until it kind of got to the end um this was it i'm was gonna say kind of like weird. aimless i don't think that's the right word for it it's very much episodic in the way that a a 90s tv show with like 26 episodes in it you know um that goes for a year or 52 episodes goes where you just have these these kind of it's back to those really one-off adventures um that's kind of how season one was played off as yeah and that that's kind of like i i enjoy like the one-off adventures i think the issue is that a lot of time was spent in this season on things other than din like he didn't feel like the main character of the show anymore I guess, sure. yeah, my thing was like with this season was what I didn't get a clear sense of the through line of the show, like the the premise of the season, like in season one, like you said, it's a lot of episodic stuff, but they're all connected by that line of that very simple premise. Um, Mando needs to find the, or, you know, figure out what the deal is with this kid. Yeah. And he's on a quest to do that. And I don't feel like we, Yeah. I don't feel like we got that in this season. Like they segmented similar. it because like there isn't one continuous arc. Like the the furthest back you can see a planted seed is in the the just really not the place for it. Third episode of the season, and um, the fact that ex Imperial lady is still Imperial and a sleeper agent for Moth Gideon. Um, that yeah, doesn't that, make sense till much later. You don't even like get the hint that Moff Gideon might still be out there until like midway through the season. Yeah, and they even I mean, we go to the mind that we go to Mandalore in episode two. Yeah, so like season. that's so, the first arc, right? Is he needs to to purify himself in the living yeah. waters. And then that wraps up and then it's like okay, now Bo Katan's story takes front and center and she need wants to to reunite Mandalore and I'm, I'm I guess I'm just surprised that they didn't take that chance to kind of plant the seed of like maybe there's a base there uh for the Empire and they left it for this big reveal in the second to last episode um where it's like 
why not just put a little thing, a little That's nugget? A, you do yeah. that all the time. You put these little nuggets, these breadcrumbs leading us to the truth that could have a through line. And and there were several things that just like didn't kind of make a whole lot of sense to that the is. overarching episode. Like Bo-Katan's castle getting blown up by all these Imperial ships, uh, these uh, TIE fighters and, and the bombers and stuff like that, the interceptors. Mm-hmm. Who did those belong to? That was never answered. Like, right. it, it maybe Moff Gideon, but like the like, so yes, I think that's a very good point, Jake. Is that the the Mandalore Planet Mandalore early in the season and Planet Mandalore at the finale of the season feel almost like different planets in the content. Yeah, you know, there there's a lot of opportunity to uh, in kind of start the mystery that only really starts in earnest like four episodes before the end of the season and then immediately gets paid off through, you know in the next three episodes um yeah have like you could have a mystery of these are imperial ships but there's no like if they were tie fighters but there was no deployment like there's no star uh, destroyer for them to deploy from where did they come from you know that would have been kind yeah. of a compelling mystery or yeah something on you know but stuff they, in Mandalore that gave clues that like someone else was here. You could even say someone else was here and you don't even say who that way you can kind of do the first payoff in the final episode, I guess, spoilers with the crew from planet, you know, the, the survivors yeah. of yeah. Mandalore. And then it becomes a double twist as mm-hmm. you find the, the base is there too. Yeah. And, and uh, th- th- there were a lot of things that they just kept bringing up that seemed like they were going to be bigger things like the pirate that, never really paid off in the way that I think we expected it to. Yeah. That was it almost was its like, own. I think they were trying to make that a payoff from an earlier season. Maybe. But again, yeah, it, it felt like it had, it didn't have a good place in the overarching. Yeah. The only purpose it served season. was it was the first time that, uh, all the med, the covert had, uh, you know, fought alongside. Yeah. Bo-Katan. So the, the other thing that you find out, like, with supplemental information is that pirate Gorian Shard, the guy who, you know, is really done up. He's an interesting looking character. I love Feel that like... character and I love that ship. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool love ship. everything about that. They blew it up though. In like <laughs> yes. the second episode. And you find out later that apparently he's going to be like the antagonist for the skeleton crew show that they're making. So see that's I'm like, therein lies another issue I have with this season is that, it feels kind of like a later stage MCU movie where instead of focusing on making a compelling story, you're using it to set up all these other things. Yeah. yeah, And that's that's a kind of a comics book thing in general, right? Where it's like, if any given scene from the show, there's like the little rectangular box with the asterisk. See also um, skeleton crew episode three. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And we are getting to that point. Bo-Katan's like stuff with rebels and her connection to Ahsoka and and like isn't isn't her uh whole story arc in Clone Wars or Rebels whatever basically the exact same thing that happens in this season of the show I mean it's similar it it, back in Rebels the Darksaber was a lot more I mean it was similar importance it's whoever controls that like literally controls Mandalore so that's when you see it go from um uh who has it in the beginning um 
Tarvizla. I think it's Tarvizla. Pazvizla. Yeah, Tarvizla or Pazvizla. One of the descendants of like the original Mandalore has the Darksaber and he started the um, Death Watch. And that's when the Jedi's get involved in Clone Wars and they have to kind of kick that out of it. And Bo Katan um, takes it and then she starts reuniting Mandalore in like Rebels. But the problem with that was in Rebels, Sabine Wren, who we'll see in the Ahsoka series, uh, actually won that from Tar Paz Vizla. I think it's Tar Vizla um, in a duel. So she technically is the leader of Mandalore. She gave it to Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan is not the true owner of it. And some didn't see her as that. And then she got defeated by Moff Gideon. And he has it. He stole it from her, essentially. Um, and this is the same Darksaber that was owned by Maul for a while. And um, he... The, the story of how they, they end up getting a lot of rat counting of Mandalorian lore. <laughs> I mean, the, the way that they got it from Maul is kind of dumb because Maul kind of just left it on Dathomir um, and Sabine just found it and picked it up and took it. So <laughs> it's, that's kind of silly. Um, he ended up getting it back and then killing uh, Satine with it and taking control of Mandalore until he was defeated by Ahsoka um, later on. So Ahsoka defeated Maul or captured Maul at least. Um, it, it, there's there's a lot because it it they take a lot of stuff from Rebels, a lot of stuff from Clone Wars, with the changes in power from Mandalore. So it's very complicated, mm-hmm. and they do essentially do that. Like Bo-Katan in season two says, "I need to I need to beat Moff Gideon to take the dark saber," but Din takes it, and then right. and so now out. Din has it, but he can barely use it and utilize it in season three. So it's like kind of a nothing burger. It's a fucking, mm-hmm. they don't use it. So, yeah. but Bo-Katan is proficient with it. When she defeats the little spider monster that captured Din, that's when they use the fucking Reddit mod uh, by your logic kind of debate Lord shit and say, oh, well, um, actually. Uh, well, that's immediately what I thought when he, when he got captured. I'm like, this is the way that they're going to write in him being able to hand it off. And a lot of people were like, yeah, I could see them trying to do that, but that's a really like far out there theory. Like They're going to definitely have Bo and Din fight or something like that so they could, in front of everybody, prove that Bo won it a well, certain way. Yeah. And like, I mean, as, as stupid as it was, I feel like everyone could have seen it coming because... Bo doesn't, or, or I'm sorry, Din doesn't give a shit about the dark saber. He never really has. No. Um. So like, if I'm sure, as they became closer, he would have been just like, "Here, take it," or like, "Yeah, let's fight." Yeah. I concede. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. I I think the one thing that the season did did right is, mm-hmm. and I, I as much as I feel bad about it, and I hope they can like still kind of bring it back in some essence is they destroyed the Darksaber. And by destroying the Darksaber, they kind of just say, hey, you, you got to shut up with your traditional, like, whoever controls the Darksaber, because not everybody believes in that. Right. Uh, and I think that's one of the ways that they can unite the Mandalorian tribes is by saying, hey, let's take a little bit of your traditions, a little bit of your traditions, mush them together, and start becoming 
so like in the ones from Mandalore in the old Mandalorian lore um whoever claimed Mandalore's helmet was the new Mandalore I don't know okay. why they felt the need to change that to the dark saber I feel like it makes a little more sense with how important helmets are to their culture to still have it be a helmet maybe they'll get back there who knows um uh, i mean could be could be that like whoever claimed the helmet means they probably killed them so yeah, maybe it's a different interpretation of it kind of how that but worked. they just kind of melded it into it being the dark saber uh yeah. being the thing that rules i on a on a related note does anyone feel like the Mandalorians as a fighting force and as like as a fighting people fell off this season also? Like a lot of there's a there's a pretty good focus in the earlier seasons on the like the side wet, like the arsenal of Mandalorians. Yeah. You know, they that was part of their charm, at least in the season, was like you could, you know, they got all this cool shit, like the the whistling birds and you know, they like the tether and like the flamethrower kind of hung around. But again, until like the end of the season, I was like, hey, wait, where's like the cool thing? Where's like the whistling birds? Where's, where's the, the missiles? Hook? Yeah. Where's the flamethrower? You know, and, and a lot of it's just them flying around in, in the jetpack, which is fine and, and shooting stuff like maybe he finds another disintegrator rifle or something like um, man, and kind of related to that. Mando Din doesn't have like he should get he should get a signature weapon. Well, he had, he only he had the spear pistol. and he lost it. Yeah, and he had the disintegrator rifle and he lost it. Well, the armor kind of yelled at him for making a spear. He's like, he's like, yeah, yeah we don't really do spears. <laughs> yeah. okay. you, you don't. You shouldn't use uh, Beskar for like a weapon. You should use Beskar for like armor uh, or some mm. other shit that you could use. So and it's telling that um, Boca. Bo-Katan gets the fucking cool signature weapon because she gets the the force uh, yeah, the buckler force. And, yeah. and sword and like the vibrant knife. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it seems like they all have like some sort of element. Like, um, I, and I think this guy is Paz Vizsla, the big guy. He, he uh, gets a signature was, weapon too. He right? gets He's the, the the chain gun, um, which is dope. We all love that. Um, yeah, like. Back to season one, one of the amazing things, which maybe this made him more overpowered, is is the fact that he had this gun that could like one shot kill people. Um, and I, I think maybe it's a Disney choice to move away from that to be like, ah, oh, we don't want our main guy, the good guy, um, kind of just murking people left. I and mean, right. after what they did to Boba Fett in Book of Boba Fett, I a hundred percent can see that. So uh, that's what uh, I'm thinking. What? If you want to give more of a studio call, if you want to give man, uh, you know, Din like his own thing, I think w- as would befit him. They gave him the Django you know, Fett hunter, pistols at the end of Django, this. Yeah, I want him to have like a you know, like a shotgun blaster or like a spread blaster. That would be fucking cool. Yeah, where it's got you know it's got like multiple barrels and it's got a good spread. And you could, Breathe. you know, you could do like tart. He could change it and tar- have different spread settings for like horizontal spray or something like, or like tight, uh, tight blast. Like that would be cool. Yeah, and let him have something that is like his own because, again, he doesn't. He's just like he's one of the guys in, in this season. I think if they use more of his like whistling birds, I think that would be um, definitely the the sign to be like, oh yeah, he has like still his own. Uh, mm-hmm 
individuality yeah. when compared to like the other helmeted Mandalorians that are powerful when they need to be, weak when they when they don't need to be. So that mm-hmm. that was I got a bit of inconsistency out of their like power level and how much they could either be just like slapped around or or just be a dominating yeah. force. Let's talk let's talk about those let's talk about those dark troopers. <laughs> With, well, uh, the, I mean, so I think we should just, yeah, we can get to kind of the end of the season here. There's some some little standout things during it, like um, the the Lizzo Jack Black, yeah, Mando Vice episode, and they all, yeah, whatever. That whole thing was so weird. Uh, they all have it. Though. Like I, right? I kind of, I don't, I, I kind of liked the the like hard boiled detective cop angle. But it, yeah. they just were like so silly with it, and like it didn't seem like they were winking at the camera, like they weren't lampshade hanging. It felt like they were being genuine, but it was just so silly. I mean, I think Jack Black and, and Lizzo's characters were definitely going for it, where they're just like playing like space croquet, and she's like, "Oh, let me let me hold the thing." That feels like that kind of you know, honestly, it feels to me kind of like a make a wish thing or a make a wish cameo where it's like they really wanted to be in star wars and they talked to someone they said oh we'll put you in episode like six and you'll you'll get to be the space duke and duchess and you'll get to we'll let you you'll do character hold grogu for a little bit and you'll play you know whatever and you get to have dialogue scenes and it was it was somewhat interesting to have like like hear the perspective of a separatist yes yeah no i think i think that's what that episode what, what is overlooked a lot of the times from from like it oh, comes yeah, at the end of the episode is like Black. one one set of dialogue yeah it's, but it's really it, interesting yeah because they they bring up the separatists and, and it's like oh yeah there's still that aspect of this like there's still scars from the clone wars um existing because we're not that far off we're only like 20 something years or something like that or 15 years from yeah. the end of the empire it's like, yeah, we have this this building um, new republic to try to pick up the pieces after the empire like dissolved, combating that, and also combating a lot of like the sentiments from the Clone Wars. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. they they bring it up in A New Hope that like, oh yeah, you were in the Clone Wars. I remember, or I've heard of those. I've read about that, and galaxy wide, there's got to be a, a, a ton of places that still. I also like have that, with like Chris Lloyd's character is like age appropriate to what a separatist yeah. would have would be at this point sure. in the Star Wars timeline. Um, if they were like in their twenties during the the height of the, the Clone Wars, but, yeah. yeah, and and not to bring back like uh, Survivor or even like Rebels and Clone Wars, but um, those shows and, and the game they make callbacks a lot to like the Clone Wars, um, especially with Survivor where. Um, the droids are now repurposed as like bounty hunters and, and other like um, military units. So oh. they're, 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 they're back in that aspect of being the enemy and being yes. repurposed because you have all these droids left over from the separatists. What are you going to do with them? And, well, and we saw that in that show with, with obviously um, turn them into mechs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you make little tiny mechs. It's like, all right. Is this a mecha anime? I guess. I guess that's that's as good a point as any. Um, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I really think Grogu should have stayed with Luke. 
And if you were going to bring him back, you should have waited a longer period of time for him to come back. So his impact had more, more resonance. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, Kristen wouldn't have watched it as much, but um, again, it really feels he's a like very Rogan popular at the speed of the plot, very like cute character. And I understand like, because of his popularity, their hesitance to cut him out from the show. But I think narratively, that was the right decision. They 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 got themselves into a corner that's hard to get out of. They created a character too popular, too marketable, too <laughs> uh, sneeze for. Um, they created a character that was too popular to like do anything like uh detrimental with. And you could see that struggle in season two where they're like, oh, we this is like a really good opportunity, and it makes too much sense to stay with Luke. Yeah. Like, oh, can you imagine Grogu training with Yoda's lightsaber? Oh, awesome. Cool. Oh! Fan fangasm. Cut oh to the God. cut to the Star Wars celebration footage That's of so crowds good. of people and cheering. And then, you know, maybe they ate they have like a weird aging curve and he like becomes an adolescent, you know, in after a few years of training. And maybe you space out the plot of this season a little bit more to give there some room to breathe. And, or maybe like a third season is Din solo adventures, and then maybe in the fourth season we start the take back Mandalore plot, and you do that as a season long plot, and then Grogu comes back to save Din towards the end of that season to pay off that plot line because of all the times Din saved Grogu. Like, yeah, and you get to have the the heroic, uh, familiar returning character moment that that is classic, um, you know, stand up and clap material. Yeah, have him come back with Yoda's lightsaber. In this season, awesome. he's just he just is good at force powers now, and he's he's grown up and can do stuff. Although I did enjoy, shit. I enjoyed the the fight scene though, where um you know he's been tra- playing keep away with Moff Gideon's troops, and then when mm-hmm. Jin comes and he's he's outnumbered, and he's like calling assist with Kroku yeah. and yeah. force pushing their weapons away. Yeah. Like I like how, that. How did, how did you feel about the reveal of Moff Gideon's plans to make clones of himself? I I enjoyed the that they I, they tried to explain why he was so interested in the child uh, in the first place. Um, I I feel my, like it's kind of them trying to fill in the somehow of somehow Palpatine returned. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. I I immediately jumped to marketing shit, like just like that, and also, I was like, as soon as I'm like, oh okay, so they're gonna they're gonna kill him this season, right? So that he can come back as a clone whenever you need him, and another season to show up. Well, you also That's, don't see uh, a body, so no body, no death. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that uh, that that was the instantaneous reaction to that was, oh, we just saw clones of him, and people started uh, speculating that this one didn't have a mustache or something like that. And they noticed that Moff Gideon usually has a mustache and all the clones were mustache less. Right. But then so, what was the point of breaking that whole breakout thing, which that was a total weird misdirection for me because they didn't pay that off either, where they end the episode before that one was saying, Oh, someone, Oh, possibly a Mandalorian broke Moff Gideon out. And it turns out it was like the dark troopers or whatever, but I thought they were setting it up as a betray, like a uh, frame, frame a, job. A lot so of that people. the Mandalorians that just kind of got together 
have will have internal kind of struggle about maybe who freed him, uh, who betrayed them, and also yeah. kind of destroy the the fostering or you know uh, newly um, created bond with the you know the republic and with the the uh, free people Navarro. Um, you know, and yeah, drama, drama, conflict. Yes, I saw a lot of fan theories that wanted uh it to be revealed that the the armorer was moff gideon's person yeah. on the Remember inside when, but i, when I they never called thought the episode that would the make spies and there wasn't a spy yeah well the, i guess the only well there was the what i got from it was like there was only one spy and the episode was called the spies plural um yeah because the only spy they brought up in that was the Aliyah Kane on Coruscant. She was the spy for the New Republic for Moff Gideon. And it seemed like Moff Gideon had known about the different factions of Mandalorians and was asking about them. Like, which which one was it specifically? So if you want to think, oh, maybe it's, maybe it's um, a different... Mandalorian is is another spy for Moff Gideon. Then okay, that makes sense. But they all the likely suspects were not never revealed themselves to be the spy. Yeah, yeah. And you had plenty of people you could have picked you had, from that would have been. Believable. You had armor. You had axe woves. You had um, the other girl um, who like the uh, Sasha Banks's character. Sasha Banks. Yeah. So well, she's Mercedes Monet now. Oh, I see. <laughs> So you had her who could potentially be like a spy. She makes reference to like, hey, you can buy Mandalorians for money. Like, yeah. just depends mm-hmm. on how much coin you got, how many credits you got. So Kajit has wares if you have coin. Yeah. So like, they definitely set it up for there to be an informant in the Mandalorians, but they never paid it off. Um, I guess it's whatever. Maybe it would have been too clunky, too complicated, too convoluted to, to include that in there with all their plans at the end. Well, they they dedicated a whole episode to two characters that we had never fucking seen before and had no reason to care about at the time. So. No, that that made all the sense in the world. What are you talking about? To just like depart from Mando as in, in halfway through the season and remember this guy Coruscant. from season one. Yeah, yeah. Not, I don't not think an that economic was use of their their screenplay. They had um, plenty. Yeah, they wasted plenty of time with this season. They could have done a lot more narratively, and it would have been much better for it. Yeah, um, they they really wharfed out their dark troopers for sure. Um, what do you mean they like killed this... they killed chain gun guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But well, the every... dark troopers didn't even do that. They did the um, it was the Praetorian Guard. Which I like the I really like oh, the right. Praetorian yeah, Guard that, in this. Okay, I guess I, I had conflated them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I but I didn't know the difference. Either. It's because <laughs> so, they only show up for two, they only do two things in this shit. Yeah, but they're really good at it. And like, man, I wish I get like it. It makes the Praetorian Guard in Episode Eight make a little more sense. Um, I I like that kind of thing where their express purpose is to jump the fuck out of one dude and just <laughs> kill the fuck out of them. <laughs> like why we're not here to to fend off big numbers we are here we are a hit squad quarter you from the corner like we're here for the run-in when you we're, the two count and we're what you call the, the hot tag from downstage <laughs> they're the hot tag <laughs> yeah and they do their job really fucking well but um yeah the dark troopers they really they they try and hype them up with oh they have beskar armor 
but then like then the Mandalorians just still fight him off with regular efficiency anyways like it really should have been a fight if you wanted to continue this that they barely got out of well I think they're I think they're a little bit more bulky than that they show kind of when they were doing the up close um shooting was they were shooting between the armor plates I guess Mandalorians have specific knowledge of where the weak points in the armor are so they're used to fighting with Beskar armor I guess it gives them a little bit of a leg up not I don't think it should have given them as much of a leg up as it seems like they did because like it seems like all all the dark troopers got murked and not one Mandalorian was well, lost. I mean in it that, feels it also feels like I mean the dark trooper I mean, suits are just suits. Like it's the person in the suit that matters the most and yeah. Mandalorians are warriors born. So you would expect them to maybe have a little more training than an Imperial troop. Yeah. And the other thing with I, I just want to laugh on because it, it kind of makes me giggle like that Moff Gideon's plan was partially to make those, but also to make himself Star Wars. Yeah. I will become the Star Wars. I'll become a stormtrooper and a Jedi and a Mandalorian at the <laughs> same time. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely was all. going for that. His, so. yeah, his suit at the end was... I, I can't little with the death 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 Morian or whatever um, yeah crown I can't decide if it was if it was cool or hokey I know I know same thing because it's like are you're you're a mix of Maul Vader and Mandalorian yeah what what the fuck <laughs> check out my like, cool cosplay guys I'm like the, the eight the eight year old in me was like yeah yeah but right. like. <laughs> The, the nearly like, 30 year old version of me that I am today was like, uh, no, this seems kind of silly. No, the, the realist in me was like, just imagine Moff Gideon in the, in the, you know, beforehand being like, no, 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 put, put four or five spikes on top. No, too many spikes. They're too tall. I really I, no, want I this like to that. pop. <laughs> I want people no, to go to like, black. wow, when I walk you in the to, room. To be able to tell me apart from the other guys in the armor. <laughs> Also, he had like, was that like a mechanized suit too? Like he was yeah. super strong. They they certainly made it seem that way with the sound because, effects. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Well, please, please pull through to the drive window. You could even hear like the the servos or whatever. You could hear when he moved. I really wanted him to be like the the policeman from Young Frankenstein, just. Yeah. <laughs> what is this cyberpunk yes. replacing all your atom smasher yeah seriously you smash I, mean, I, guess, I guess they had to do it because he's got to crush the lightsaber the dark saber somehow yeah. right mm-hmm. you can't just like shoot it yeah that'd be silly so where do we go from here they could go wherever they want because he's back to being a bounty hunter yeah. And he's just cool with the Republic. There have been a lot no of chance of drama there. There's been a lot of rumors that Pedro Pascal might be leaving the show. Which good for him. He could do it. Again, he's he's in a great spot in his career right now. Yeah. So yeah. if if he does yeah, he got out of Star Wars just fine, which is a fate that not uh, many actors can't say they uh, accomplished. I would I would prefer season four to just be you know, kind of getting back to the roots of the show, uh, with with Din and Grogu kicking it around the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he leaves, obviously, I think it's going to become the Bo Katan show, 
and who knows what happens from there. Yeah. Well, they, they kind of set it up the, the way I was thinking about it was they, they were setting it up originally with Boba Fett and the Ahsoka series to be this kind of like Avenger style team up. And, and they did announce, I think that Dave Filoni's doing some sort of movie where it'll be probably Boba Fett, Mando, and the Ahsoka group kind of coming together to fight Grand Admiral Thrawn. Like the Defenders. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And we're gonna we're gonna see that in Ahsoka when she's hunting down Thrawn on how big of a baddie he is and what his plans are. Um that'll be really interesting to wrap up before the time period of like the first order comes up comes to light. Uh, because like again, we had no mention of Thrawn in like any of the pre the sequels. So yeah. it's like, all right, well, he's kind of a big character. Oh. How does he, you know, uh, roll over into those movies? Or maybe he survives it, and maybe he's the next bad guy after Sidious. Somehow Thrawn returns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he, he came back a couple times in the expanded universe that Disney decanonized with the sequel trilogy. Yeah, um, yeah and it seems like they're they're really picking apart the legends and like saying, "Hey, we we like a lot of this stuff, and we're gonna we're gonna pick and choose what we want to include." Yeah. So. Um, it'll be interesting. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they go from here. I just hope that they can kind of get back to making higher quality products um but you know yeah. we probably won't see anything for a while with the writer strike currently going on hey i'll say star wars doing a whole lot better than the mcu in terms of like quality and quality writing acting cgi much more pleased with that because i think they got a cleaner slate yeah coming out it's with. not the highest bar to clear right now though <laughs> yeah yeah and and fucking bring back the Corsair. That's all I want. That ship was fucking awesome. That ship was awesome. And like, um, just keep your shows focused. If I'm not completely uninterested in like ex-Imperials living on Coruscant, but have that be its own thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it will be. They set up that thing for a reason. It's a spinoff. It's a uh, Spies of the Empire 10, 12 episodes. Let's do it. Yeah. Hey, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Until next time, be well, stay safe, and party like it's 1995. Peace. Bye-bye.